Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds. Hello, welcome. Welcome to episode 66 of the podcast. I'm Anthony. I'm here with Chris Leone, although his screen says Casey. Uh, Kevin Minto. Kevin Minto's here as well. Hey, Kev. Only to us. Only we can see. Only, only we can, we can see, see that. Case Leone. Okay. It's distracting to me in case you couldn't tell by me mentioning it already. Three seconds into the show. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome back. We're happy to have you guys here. And uh, we're very happy to be joined by our wonderful guest, Ken Sofer. Ken, how are you? Good. How are you? Doing real good. Doing real good. We're happy to have Ken here. Ken is is a, a friend of ours. He's he's a really good friend of Chris. Chris can't can't really speak a sentence without mentioning Ken Sofer. And he always says, oh, he taught you do, you do, you do. It's <laughs> sweet. It's true. It is, it is. You know what? I'm not going to hide behind my feelings. It's true. But he'll say things like my buddy Ken, or he'll use the full name Ken Sofer, like it's one word. Because <laughs> I do, I do he used to think it was. I right? did. That's a good story. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, keep going. Tell me that story. I want to hear it. Let's go. Well, was it was it the Turtle Forum days, right? Yeah. It was the Turtle Forum days, and I I thought I I thought he had two first names. You know what I mean? Like you know in you know in uh, Talladega Nights when they're like yeah. like you know Ricky Bobby. Like come on, he's got two first names. Well, that's so that's I started calling Ken that because I thought I thought it was like one, you know I thought his name was Kensifer. <laughs> you know. Like Christopher, you know? Yeah, that's what's funny about it. It's like, okay, they really like the name Christopher, but it was too common. And they really like the name Ken, so they combined them and came out with Kensifer. Yeah. That's really it good. It doesn't gonna... sound terrible. It's it's not that outlandish. It's not. <laughs> I've heard no. sillier turtle people names, that's for sure. Yeah. But uh, but we're very happy to have you here, Mr. Kensifer, and uh, to talk box Thank turtles. Ken is, Ken is a box turtle expert. How do you feel about that label being called an expert? Um, I, the more I learn, the more I learn that I don't know much about them. So <laughs> Isn't that the I don't know if anybody can ever be an expert. I've, I feel dumber and dumber every year I keep them. I hear, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I um, one thing I want to start with, too, just as a disclaimer – so, and, and Ken, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you're a relatively private person. You don't put yourself out there. You're like, it's funny that you and Chris are so, are so close and maybe it's like an opposite to track sort of thing, but you have a much different approach to doing this than he does. And you're kind of one of those diamond in the rough folks, or what I like to say, what I would like to kind of call like the, the, the most uh, knowledgeable person you've never heard about that sort of thing. Like, you know what I mean? You have a lot of cool stuff going on. You have a lot of, um, cool experiences and, and knowledge, but most people don't know who you are. Now people have been around for a while, come across you at some point, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, as opposed to like someone who's like Chris, who has 35,000 followers on Facebook or something like that, which isn't a huge amount, but, is a huge amount at the same time. I'm just saying, I don't want to build your head up too much. Yeah, believe me, I'm, I, it, it yeah. I, I live vicariously through Chris. 
Um, there was a time when I thought I would probably be doing this for a living, but I abandoned that a long time ago. And I do mostly keep to myself. I've got a family and a career outside of this that I focus on. And this turtle thing is truly a hobby for me. I like to keep it pretty low key, but I do. I, I hound Chris all the time for news from, you know, beyond my little world. And he's into everything. He literally, in a lot of ways, we're the opposite. So um, yeah. I like seeing the hobby through his eyes. And I hound him constantly. I think every conversation we have, I'm asking, so what's going on? You know, and I don't know how much he appreciates that and how much he doesn't, but he's been really good about including me in things like this here. I, you know, I, I wouldn't know about this if it wasn't for him. I wouldn't have met you guys if it hadn't been for his get-togethers and the uh, conservation project we've all helped with. And so I, I, appreciate, I appreciate him plugging me into the hobby. Now let's not let's not continue down that road of giving Chris credit. Let's let's change gears for a second. So, so you mentioned how you wanted to make turtles and and breeding turtles uh, your your livelihood in the past, and then you said you changed gears. What's the what's the reason for that? Well, it was originally veterinary. So I I've been telling people I wanted to be a veterinarian since I was six years old. And I literally thought that up until probably sophomore year in college, I was pre-veterinarian and I actually started working in a veterinary clinic and realized that it, it really wasn't for me. So after that, I pursued um, uh, uh, like nature mu museum slash zoo work. I started taking that track and um, I volunteered in the nature museum and participated in some of those things. I did apply for a job at one point and, um, you know, I was just too green. I didn't get the job and realized pretty early on that if, uh, if I wanted to be able to support a family because I got married pretty young, I was going to have to find a career pretty quickly. So at that point, I transitioned over to private industry and, um, you know, the, the turtle thing has just been a hobby. So. It just happened. It wasn't really intentional. Um, it's a surprise to me really, that I don't do this full time. I, you know, veterinary and then working in, you know, zookeeping and even rescue and rehabilitation. I had been heavy into that. And, uh, you know, it's, it gets hard when you've got obviously a family, which I know we all have. And then uh, the career, the career really takes a lot of wind out of your sails for those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, when you said that you were thinking about making your career, I thought it meant you meant breeding and selling animals. What are your thoughts there? Personally? No, I never really thought that, you know, that's, it's never really been my personality. Um, you know, obviously Chris does really well and I'm going to continue to praise him because he's a good friend, but um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay. just never anything that I thought I could really do full time. I, it, being in the career I'm in now, I, I realize that sales is not my forte. I'm just, I'm not a good salesman. And selling animals would have been probably the worst career choice for me. Because I think I would have just kept every single one of them. And I wouldn't really make a single sale. <laughs> You're going to send those? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to you, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh. <laughs> 
Chris, can you speak to that a little bit as somebody who? Well, you know, absolutely. And, and, um, I, th- the whole sale acts aspect of it is, um, it's kind of, is the thing that can sometimes suck the fun out of it. And we've all talked about this before. Cause I mean, I've, I've vented to all of you guys and, you know, sometimes it's the, it's the people, the person that, that you're selling to or the party that's interested or involved that can suck the fun out of it for you. So you do have to have a really thick skin to get through that part. And, you know, I've, I've complained over the years, I've vented about a lot of things and stuff like that, but I guess in the end I do have a thick skin because I am managing to continue forward with this full, full speed. But, you know, this is where you guys and Ken really come into play because Ken, I'll tell you, you know, we speak almost daily and, you know, it's an outlet for me. And even with you, Anthony, like, like sometimes I'm like, I, I gotta, I gotta just rip into this situation right now, you know? And having an outlet like that, having friends that understand you, you know, someone that, that you could talk to so where you're not always burdening your wife with everything, you know, um, that helps put things into perspective too. And, you know, in Ken's situation where he really is like the purest form of a hobbyist, you know, that's something that I truly miss. You know, I miss when it was just a hobby. I am not ungrateful, nor would I change anything about how my life's turned out because I'm very lucky and very happy. But, you know, in, in some ways he may live vicariously through me, but it's kind of reversed too, because I remember, you know, and long for some of those feelings and some of that, like that nostalgia coming back from when it was just a hobby, you know, and like, we'll nerd out on certain species, you know what I mean? and and tell stories about them or we've been on herping trips and stuff before and it, it's it it brings me back to that um i guess probably the wrong way to say this but kind of the innocence of it not that there's nothing not innocent about this but you know what i mean um so going back to the whole like making a career career out of it and the whole sale aspect of it yeah you really have to have a thick skin to do that and it's something you have to discover early on that you could do that. But the way that I do things, I think is, is not as, it's not very, it's not as similar to the way other people that breed and sell animals do it. You know, I've kind of set up this, um, I don't know, a uh, situation around me where I, I'm lucky enough to get people to come to me so that I'm, I'm not flooding the classifieds. I'm not constantly up there. Like, you know, this is for sale. That is for sale. This is for sale. There's, you know, there's, there's times when absolutely nothing is for sale, you know? So, I don't know, I'm getting off track here, but you know, the whole point of it is, is I, I guess it does take a certain personality to be able to stomach it. Sure. I don't have it by the way. I'm horrible. I know you are. I hate it so much. I hate selling animals with every fiber of my being. It just bothers me. And it only takes one situation to ruin it for you. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and, you know, early on, there were definitely things that had gone wrong where I, I had, I, if I ever was going to take my out, it was then, you know? Mm. And, um, you know, so, so you guys are, are best buds. You've got this little opposites attract thing going on, which I really love. Um, <laughs> not, not physical, but yeah. Uh, well, so, yeah. <laughs> so what was, what was your last conversation about? Who called whom? This this podcast. <laughs> well, oh, it was about this. It was, okay, it was about <laughs> it was about Cece, my older daughter, endlessly not letting me speak on the phone to him. Twice we tried talking today. Gotcha. So it was about how all kids do that when their parents are trying to have a conversation on the phone. 
So that's I, what we talked about. Last I understand. I, I understand. And so does Kev. Yeah, we get it. I mean, my we, wife fell we down the stairs other... when we were. I feel like I should tell people that. What? Should I? What? My wife fell down the stairs while we were about to go live. <laughs> and then my daughter was climbing on me and it's like, and, and, and Steve's like, and we're getting ready to go in 10, nine. And my wife's writhing in pain on the floor. That sort of and thing. And still falling. <laughs> she's still, she's still falling right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, Ken, you were saying when I rudely interrupted you. Well, we, we give each other virtually daily updates on our animals. So yeah. especially box turtles, because Box turtles feature prominently in both of our collections. So, you know, how many eggs did you get? Um, what nesting activity are you observing? What time of day? What conditions? Um, you know, multiple clutching. I mean, it's it's constant. It's a constant dialogue, and a lot of it's dominated by box turtles because we both love them so much. Yeah. So I think it's really cool, and we're talking about North American box turtles, right? We're not talking about like Cora, um, Asian box turtles, but I think it'd be cool just to talk about box turtles in general and then ask you about specific parts of their husbandry. And then we can talk about, I think some of the outliers will come up. So like, for instance, I'll, I'll show you where I'm going with this. Let's talk about incubation, incubation of box turtles, right? Mm -hmm. So how does it vary from like among all of the different species, subspecies within North American box turtles. Um, are you using the same substrate usually, you guys? Uh, temperature, humidity, what's changing um, like across the entire group? I think we, we both pretty much use vermiculite, right? It's remarkably similar, even when you're talking about, you know, Western desert species versus Eastern humid forest. It's remarkably similar, even the, the time frames humidity levels, substrate. I, I do use vermiculite, um, you know, just barely damp. I've found that being a little on the more dry side is helpful. Um, I think the only real difference would be some of the Asian box turtle species, which I know we're not really talking about today. For the North Americans, I, I don't do anything differently. Even the temperature, from what we know, what we can find on temperature determinant sex or um, information it's it's all relatively similar if not identical that's the sense that i get but i have to admit that i haven't gone in and like read a care sheet for every single one of the species but it seems pretty straightforward and uniform across the board no outliers yeah. at all like like cohelans or yucatans or anything like that do you guys know are those outliers in terms of temperature or anything i will say that it's i mean very subtle you know i mean with cohelans it, it, you know, it, depending on the temperature incubating incubating at. So um, I have noticed when if you incubate Cohelan box turtles at a lower temperature because you're aiming to get males per se, um, they do take a while. Like, I think I think the one year I got to look back on what I if I even did write it down, but I, I want to say that some of the eggs that I was incubating for male uh, were going like 80 days. You know, whereas I don't know. That, um, you know, and that's like low 80s. You know, some of the other terrapin species that I was incubating at low 80s were still hatching uh, sooner than them. But that's really been, been the only observation I'm trying to think that, that I've seen. You know what I mean? But, Ken, you can, you know, um, 
fill in the gaps there if there are any. I also just no, want to say too, Ken, first... if you don't, if you, I'm sorry about that. Just a quick disclaimer. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you guys keep all of these because I know there's stuff that you don't keep, that you don't keep every single type of box turtle, but I consider you guys both to be box turtle experts. So I'm just asking you what your knowledge is of them all. Okay, continue. Sure. Now for me, it's virtually identical. I, I don't really change much except for some of the Asian species because the, the eggs I've gotten from them have been hard shelled. So I've noticed if, you know, if it's too dry, I see the, um, the yolk kind of separating from the outside of the shell. And then if it's too wet, I'll see some splintering um, as the, the hard shell tries to expand. Other than that, for the, all the North American species that I do keep, um, it's the same. I incubate exactly the same. And, and I know, even get similar. It's not just published data on sex determination. I've done this long enough that I've actually been able to see it in turtles that I've raised. I've been able to see my own sex ratios, and it's virtually identical, which is pretty amazing if you think about it. You know, even with some um, some of the terrapene species that you know, Ken had experienced before me with them. And I think the first time that I had gotten uh, desert box turtle eggs, I, I think I remember asking you like, what, what, how do I incubate these things? And you were like, the way you incubate your Eastern box turtles, your goal, your goal, you know, and I was like, you're, you're kidding me. And, and, you know, he was like, yeah, do it that way. And they hatched, you know? So uh, it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, you look at the morphology of all these different box turtles and you can see why they are different species or subspecies but then you you know there's that whole taxonomic argument of you know what should or shouldn't be merged and then when you when you look at the reproductive status of some of these animals and even the the different um you know the data that that is compiled from it like being able to incubate pretty much all of them exactly the same you could start to see why there's certain influence in wanting to uh merge them you know what i mean like some of them in certain aspects there are real similarities you know and and i guess the the incubation of the eggs is one of them you know because it's it's basically straightforward you know there's no diapause or cooling period or anything you know and the desert and ornate box turtles even appear to choose to nest in a way that positions the egg in conditions that might be more like those of their eastern counterparts so you know they dig a far deeper nest and if you think about it, they're probably doing that so that the eggs can get in a more favorable location for incubation. I mean, they dig. I mean, I've I've had nests from desert box turtles that have been eight inches deep. And, you know, thinking, thinking about it sitting here, it might not sound um, very deep. But when you actually dig it out and you look, there's just this monstrous hole compared to what you're used to getting from Easterns. Can you can you describe just for people who don't know? a little bit more about the process that both the desert and ornate box turtle use to make their nest? Because I think a lot of people, uh, especially that if they do end up experiencing it for the first time, they're, they have absolutely no idea that a nest is coming because it doesn't start the way other terrapine, like, you know, everybody has an Eastern box turtle and, and it's not how it begins. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. We, um, and I, I do have friends obviously that keep both and, uh, a lot of the folks that keep them out west seem to miss the nesting. And I think it's a function of how they nest. Um, so the typical eastern box turtle of the various subspecies, you know, 
uh, humid, rainy afternoon or just a really pleasant afternoon, evening, um, you know, they'll begin digging somewhat out in the open in, you know, moderately loose soil. And they're, op they're out in the open. You can almost see the, almost always see them. Sometimes Florida's will nuzzle under a bush. They seem to really like to nest in covered up or they'll even sometimes dig a little bit into the grass where you can't see them very easily. Right. But ornates and deserts will actually begin to dig a form uh, the night before. So they do that frequently. So you think that they're just kind of nestling in for the night. But what I've seen over the years is that it's much more substantial. Um, the form that they're digging is is bigger and wider. It's kind of half moon shaped. Um, it's got soil around it that almost looks like coffee grounds because they're just kind of, you know, just scraping gentle particles away and pushing them out. And you'll actually see them digging well after dark, which is usually a pretty good sign that they're, they're starting that nest. And then once they dig that form, you know, they're kind of sitting in it somewhat flat, maybe a little bit uh, tilted. At that point, they'll begin to do the actual side to side nesting motion that you see typically of Easterns. So they'll, you, I've also heard of them, you know, laying in burrows. I haven't actually been able to see that, but I've spoken with some guys who researched them, some people that research them out in uh, New Mexico, and they say they do routinely nest in burrows. So I don't know if they dig that form, but everyone I've ever had of the ornate and deserts, they, they dig a nest that way. And <clears throat> it's really something. They're, and they usually finish up, you know, a lot of times they'll finish up by first light. So if you're not keyed into them, keyed into their, you know, the fact that they are gravid, they behave differently, you've got to watch that, and then keyed into them digging that form. If you come out in the morning, they could just be sitting on a mound of dirt, you might not notice that they're actually in the act of covering. Sometimes it'll extend longer into the day, depending on the soil, how dense it is, and the turtle itself. It's what, it's amazing. Yeah, right? It, 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 to see it, too, for the first time, you're like, what the, you know? It's, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, when you were talking about like the soil consistencies and stuff, you know, these turtles that are coming from the Western portion of our country are, um, you know, they're coming from areas where the surface is going to be a lot sandier and drier. So the fact that they're going down head first, first to make this form, like you said, they're, they're putting the eggs in a very similar situation that the box turtles on the Eastern half of the country that are coming from humid forests and stuff where they don't have that kind of problem can just put them just a couple inches down, just below, some, in some cases, just below the surface. You know, if you're, if you get a, uh, an Eastern three toed Gulf coast or Florida box turtle nest, and you are too aggressive trying to get the eggs out, you, you don't realize because the nest is so shallow, your finger can go right through an egg right away. But that's not the mm. case with Ornata and Ludiola, the desert and ornate box turtles. Um, but they're 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 trying to get the eggs into that, you know, humid microclimate. So right. it's um, it's it's just it's amazing that they uh, it's that and that part of it is very different from the box turtles we're used to seeing over here. Super interesting. And and then when you look at the eggs themselves and the hatchlings, so <clears throat> um, when an ornate or a desert hatches out, in my opinion it looks like a head-started eastern box turtle. They are bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the ornates obviously in the deserts lay fewer eggs typically. 
So um, it seems like a lot more energy is put into having really strong, robust hatchlings. I mean, they're in a lot of in a lot of cases they're double the size, and yeah. um, they're just substantially more robust straight out of the egg. And I'm sure it's a function of the fact they have to dig out of such a big nest and they have to live in some fairly harsh conditions right away. With less cover, too. <clears throat> That's really cool. I, I, um, I, <laughs> our last show, our species or taxa, best, best taxa highlight type thing that we do, um, I talked about ornates because I thought I might be oh, getting right, some. Yeah. yeah, and now I have. They're totally different than I ever realized. Ornates and deserts. I mean, I've seen it, but I never really recognized how different it was. So you have like their heads are bigger, they they just their faces look totally different. They're totally they're absolutely like unique in so many different mm -hmm. ways. And I had never realized it before. You know. And you know, if you, when you look at, uh, obviously the shell of the ornate confuses a lot of folks with the Florida box turtle because they have a very similar, uh, carapace morphology with the, the black ground color or brown, brown, um, brown ground color with the thick to thin yellow stripes. Um, and there's obviously some differences that can be brought up about the shell, like the dorsal stripe of the, of the Florida, but all you have to do, like you were saying, you know, look at the animal's head. You know, and, and it's totally different. You know, the Florida has yeah. a narrow, petite head, and the uh, while while the um, ornate has a very robust, you know, in some cases very very large head. You know, yeah, I was just surprised by it because I've seen so many box turtles, and it's like how much of it had just gone over my head. Um, even just you know, I knew I knew about desert box turtles and their nesting behavior. I didn't. I mean, obviously the ornate, uh, the desert is just a subspecies of the ornate. I didn't realize that ornates were doing that too. So there's just a lot of stuff that I was learning recently. I like to think that I'm a pretty well-rounded turtle person, and I, I try to research a lot and learn a lot and kind of be a sponge as best I can. But like. There's a lot of box turtle stuff that has just basic stuff that has gone completely over my head. Mm -hmm. Just saying. So I'm excited. I'm as excited about it as anybody about. And Anthony, if it's gone over your turtles. head, then you know that's really <laughs> saying something. I didn't even know I was setting myself up for a height joke. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that there was go. good. I deserve, I deserve that. I deserve that. Yeah. Ken, I have a question for you. So yes, sir. In ornates is the only uh, species that I've seen where, and I have very limited, you know, knowledge of this in general, uh, but very, very small. So there are some small ones. So I had a, an adult male that was maybe four inches, and I had that twice, actually, two different animals. I've never seen another species where they've been that small. So is that something that's because of, like, where they live? <laughs> is that a question he said i have a he said i have a question and he just made a statement yeah, ken's yeah, like yeah. cool my question part is, you know, uh, is no, they, uh, because of like you know the habitat where they live and whatnot like is that it's a good thing? question i mean i i um i think about it a lot as, as silly as it might sound i do think about it a lot um you know ornates are you're right they're they're tiny um they're substantially smaller than the deserts I've seen. Um, I'm fortunate enough now to 
be able to go on business trips to areas where ornates occur, and they're they're there in good numbers. I've seen a, a you know a good amount of them, and they are just tiny little turtles. I mean, they're they live in these huge open prairies, sandhill prairies, and the conditions are just so harsh. I can't imagine a, a box turtle can live there, and they just do so well. And they, you know, after you know quick monsoon thunderstorms they'll just zoom just fly across the road because they're just you know so little and compact and flat and they're really something um i really don't know why i can't imagine why i know that the uh there was a a prehistoric <clears throat> turtle out there that um apparently was similar to ornata and uh they were just much much larger i can't remember the the species name on them, but they were really, really big. I think they occurred primarily in Nebraska, which which is were where they, uh, you know, our nature. Were they bigger than Putnamai? I think so. I, no I think they were pretty sized. I don't know. It's been a while since I looked it up, but and um, for those, for I really I wonder that, the same thing, Kevin. I wonder why they're so tiny. Yeah. For viewers that may not know um, what we mean, uh, put, the terrapine Putnamai. Right, my saying it was it a terrapine. It is, yeah. Yeah, uh, is an extinct giant box turtle, um, and there have been. And anybody can correct me if I'm wrong here, because I'm very foggy in my memory of this, because I haven't read about it in a while. But uh, Putnamai um, is very similar to the Gulf Coast box turtle, and there have been some genetic studies to find out if some of these massive Gulf Coast box turtles may possibly still share the DNA of the extinct Putnamai, correct? Yes. Thank I read I've, I read that. I okay. like yeah, so yeah, you wrote that? Oh, no. wow. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin is willing to sign autographs as well anyone if you're interested. All you have Did to do I is just write them. Huh? Did I say I wrote it? That's what he thought you That's said. I didn't hear like. you. Yeah, I didn't oh, hear I'm you. Oh. <laughs> um I'm not the best for a podcast, I guess, you know, but regardless of that, <laughs> <laughs> we're figuring this out now. Yeah. It's like Kevin's 50th episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's well, it. We, you know, we see we, the, the, these miniature box turtles, you know, it, it, it seems to be prominent in Ornata, but we see it in other box turtle species. I mean, some of, some of the Florida box turtles, um, they're they're like little eggs, you know, and there's some small males and and really small females. There's certain um, even some of the uh, the box turtles that we see around here. They're really tiny, you know, and they're old. They're ancient adults, you know, um, and even three toads. We'll we'll see small ones like that, you know. Um, one of the males that we have here of a three toad is he's the oldest one in the group by far, and that you know he's he's maybe four and a half inches, you know. Um, so it seems to be more of a, a trait associated with Ornata, uh, but, you know, small examples, you know what I mean, do seem to, to be, um, you know. So I'm going to pull a picture up. I'm going to send it to Steve in a minute if we could pop it on screen. There you go. Of what, your small Ornata? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just say that, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's probably with something like Ornata where there's this huge range there's got to be some ge geographical variance in terms of adult size. We're sure. looking at like Berg Bergman's rule or something like um, where different areas attain 
animals in different areas attain a, a different adult size, but then also just individual variation as well. So if you have a really, really puny one, maybe it came from a group where on average there's more small ones and that just happens to be a small one from that group. Fair? Yeah. Sure. 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 One, one interesting thing, I, I actually sent Chris a photo, uh, it was either yesterday or maybe maybe Saturday, with um, an, some ornates that I was raising. And oh, yeah. I yeah, could, yeah I, I, it was a snapshot that shows the, um, you know what, maybe basically get... an adult female on the bottom and the young one that I've been raising that was her offspring kind of sitting on top of her. And... The interesting thing is or ornates and deserts appear to grow at about the same rate, at least at my house. And um, But the ornates will reach maturity so much more quickly because they, they quit growing, you know, mm -hmm. when they're four to four and a half inches and, um, you know, maybe five. But the deserts will get up, you know, above five sometimes, nearly, nearly six. So they have to grow for an additional couple of years before they get to that size. Very interesting. And that, and that just supports... Go ahead. There you go. That's that's Kevin's small one. That supports the the yeah. the um, stance that you know turtles mature. Obviously, we all know and agree with the fact that turtles mature at a particular size, not a a, a specific age. I just um, I just sent uh, this pic that Ken is talking about to Steve. I just emailed it to him. I don't know if we can get that. You uh, guys are show. making Steve work hard tonight. Yeah, like sorry. You know, it, it really is a cool photo. I, I, I could have just saved it earlier and sent it, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. He said, "Give him a minute." I don't know if can can people hear Steve? Steve, can people hear you? No, they can't. Okay, no, Steve can't. is talking. Just so everyone knows, Steve is talking. So we all get awkwardly quiet while he talks to us, and people who are watching are like, "What the heck's happening?" I can't do it. I just I just feel like I need to fill the space when you start talking, <laughs> but I also feel like I'm being rude. Like you start to say something, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. "Okay, yes, you are." He's still talking in my ear right He's now, still so talking. we can have information. <laughs> He's still doing it. <laughs> he doesn't. I don't, Steve. I don't know if you know how difficult it is to do that, unless I'm copying you. Like we're doing like a punked thing, and you're feeding me what to say. Because I just want to, I just want to repeat what you're saying to everyone, so they know. Just so everyone knows, Steve is saying. Yeah, I, anyway. I got to do that too because especially when you know if something is being written in the chat that we need to see, like these bubbles that keep popping up from you guys. Oh, you do. You're the worst with that. I am. You, I can't help. You it. read it every time. You're in the I middle can't. of a great thought, and you're and just I like, go, yeah, uh, I, I knew it. I knew it was obvious because I'm literally yeah, like, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, can't help. Yeah. It just, yeah. it pops up. I need to read it. I need to see it, but I can't do two yeah. things at one time. I'm sorry. It's what I do if I'm talking to my wife and a text from one of you guys pops up about something <laughs> turtle related. And I just totally just, the, our conversation wow. goes out the window and I become a bad husband. Bad. Uh, yeah. You're allowed to see the comments then at all. <laughs> yeah. People are going to start should, on. They're going to be like, oh yeah, look, he's reading something. Well, just know there's, it's very... It's very rare that a comment pops up and it's actually something that matters for what you're saying in that moment. So just ignore it. Right. Yeah. If you're talking. Do we have that, uh, that photo, Steve? Just about. Just about. He said just about. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. All right, Ken, reiterate for us. You're going to let everyone know. Oh, gosh. That's good. Yeah. So that's a, um, there's a, an adult female I'm holding on the bottom. Obviously, I mean, my, my hands aren't huge, but she's a she's a pretty small turtle, um, 
and uh, she's obviously fully adult. She laid eggs. The eggs, one of the eggs hatched into the juvenile that's sitting on top of her. I guess, or I guess I should call it a subadult female. And I mean, that subadult female will probably be laying eggs in maybe two years. And a desert that same size would be probably five years away. And um, so again, this is all just anecdotal stuff from my little world. This obviously has no reflection necessarily on what's going on in the wild. It's just what I've observed keeping them. Um, so how old is that um, sub-adult female that's on top Three. of the spring? Three. Three. Wow. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Can I ask how you're growing them? What the keys are? Um, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> I think, I. you know, I... I recommend to everyone to develop a really good solid food. Um, so there, you know, if if you are able to go out and collect bugs and feed your box turtles exclusively bugs, mixed with fruits and vegetables and maybe the occasional pellet, obviously that's ideal. I cannot do that. I have not been able to do that for some time. So I've developed certain mashes. And it could be really the base is any pellet, any commercially available pellet that I will blend in meats, uh, fruits, vegetables, baby foods. And um, that's the staple. But I do, you know, try to vary the actual things that I blend into it. Um, And I try to vary the the types of pellets that I use. I try not to use the same thing every time. But I'll make a, a bowl of it and scoop it out and distribute it and they they just love it and it does really well growth is is fairly natural and uh they're bright and healthy and i've raised quite a few box turtles up to breeding size and they lay eggs of their own and um it's worked out really well that's a really good segue right there for something that i think we should bring up before we get to the mailbag ken is one of few people at least that i know and and i do know a lot of people that you know, do what we all do here. Um, he's one of the few people that has successfully raised box turtles that he's hatched on his own to adulthood, to sexual maturity. And I think one of the outstanding questions that everybody gets all the time is how long does it take? Now, I know we're not talking about a massive population of animals here. We're talking about one person's personal collection um, and the animals that are being reproduced in there. But going off how you're feeding them, how you're raising them, and your knowledge of them, what advice can we give people viewing this podcast? Just how long does it take some of these box turtles to reach sexual maturity? Because, you know, you hear it all the time, whether we're talking about these guys or we're talking about the wood turtles, it's, oh, they got to be 15, 20 years old before they're going to lay a single egg. That may be the case in the wild, but what are you seeing? Again, anecdotally, just my experience, um, the Western varieties, you know, five to seven years, mm-hmm. and the Eastern varieties typically eight to ten years. Okay. Except wow. for Florida's, Florida's will grow very quickly. Again, it depends on how warm you keep them, how much you feed them. Some years my animals grow significantly more slowly, simply because it gets a lot colder in the the you know the area where they're kept. Um, I do keep them awake the first, about the first three years. Um, 
indoors. I, I continue to feed them through the winter, maybe giving them a slight cooling off period, kind of not by choice, just because it gets so cold in there. But um, but Florida's seem to grow fairly quickly. You can raise them up shorter than that. But in general, the eastern subspecies, for me, it's been around eight to ten years before they start laying eggs. Cool. And that's that's a significant drop from what we're being told happens in the wild. So that's great. Good information. Take that home, people. Chew on it. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go to the mailbag. Minto's mailbag. <laughs> I, uh, I always smile because that's the silliest video I think I've ever made. I love it. <laughs> so we have some great questions for Ken and everybody, actually. Um, first, are ornate desert box turtles considered semi-terrestrial or completely terrestrial? I'm sorry, Kevin. I'm having a hard time hearing you, but it's, it sounds like you asked if desert box turtles are fully terrestrial or semi-terrestrial. You got it. Um, well, I, <clears throat> I've been fortunate enough to know two researchers for desert box turtles, primarily out in New Mexico. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously they're not a tortoise and they descend from semi-aquatic turtles. Some would call them still semi-aquatic. Uh, water is limited, so they are, uh, they are a land turtle, but they actually live quite a bit in the, like, like subterranean, I guess you could say. They love burrows. Um, they seem to occur, I guess the word sympatrically, with um, some, some, you know, ground-dwelling mammals. Um, I can't remember the exact ones. Chris, you might remember when that guy Marty came out and talked to the group. Um, uh, he gave I'm, a lot of... I'm remembering, I'm trying to remember too, and, and Sandy Barnett, who also uh, researches them out there, she she was telling me, I it's on like the tip of my tongue. I can't remember what, what mammal it is, but you're, I know, I know exactly. I wish I could. Uh. Yeah. Some kind of a kangaroo rat, maybe a long tailed kangaroo rat or something yeah, like that. Yeah, but maybe. they, um, you know, they, they live a subterranean life. In fact, a, a friend of mine years and years ago said that they're basically above ground, you know, less than 5% of their life. They kind of live in these burrows when conditions are right, which is a very short time in the day. Um, and only on certain days they. Back in the burrow. Are we losing from it? No, nope. nope. he's, he's back. He's back. back. Yeah. Ken, what was the last awesome. the last part you said there? Uh, basically, the deserts uh, live in these burrows, and the conditions have to be perfect. And they will come above ground, run around, do their thing, and then whoosh, they're right back in those burrows. It's amazing. <laughs> So I have a pile-on question for that. Then, uh, being that you're saying less than five percent of their life, you know, they're above ground. How important would you say UV is to that animal versus, you know, some those species? Yeah, that's a really good question. Again, the five percent thing was just something that a, a friend of mine said. Um, I'm sure it wasn't scientific. It was just from his observations out there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good question. Um, you know, there obviously are fewer cloudy days out there. Um, some of these turtles occur at higher elevations, so the UV levels could be higher, but um, yeah, it's that's kind of an unanswered question. Okay. Mm. All right, well, I'm gonna move on then. Uh, this is a question you kind of answered before, but I wanna 
rephrase it to be more uh, like an opinion based. Uh, could certain populations of TC major be genetically pure TC Panami? Why or why not? I mean, if you think about like what's going on right now with some things like uh, that show extinct or alive, you know, they're finding animals they thought were extinct for hundreds of years. Right. So it's not really out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. So your opinion is why or why? I, I think, you know, I'm sure Ken can shed better light on this, but, uh, you know, again, I, I, I weigh heavily on morphology, e- even, even being someone who's done some, ver- some very limited genetic work on certain species, I, I just, morphology to me is huge, way bigger than it's given and given credit for. Um, and there is something special, whatever, about, about Terrapine Carolina Major, you know, especially the animals coming from the panhandle, mm-hmm. you know, Ken, I think you agree. Yeah. You know, I'm, at this point in my life, I'm kind of an armchair biologist. I, you know, I, I do get out, I do some herping, I do some observing. Um, a lot of it's from talking to other people. Um, you know, some folks that actually have done studies. So I, I wish I could remember the guy's name. He's a super, super nice guy. Um, we've, we were pen pals or email pals years ago. He actually participated in a genetic study where they went all along the Gulf Coast. And, um, you know, he felt like, the data showed that there, there was a distinct, what you could call Gulf Coast box turtle. Um, and that what you were basically seeing is the difference in, um, you know, the phenotypic differences would be basically what they're closest to geographically. So if you're in the Florida panhandle, they have coloration that's similar to the Florida box turtle. If you're in like Alabama, Mississippi, parts of Mississippi, they'll be similar to, you know, more similar to eastern box turtles. And then when you get over to Louisiana, down into, you know, extreme parts of, uh, you know, the Gulf of Texas, the far east of Gulf of Texas, they're tanned because they're closest to the three-toed box turtle. He seemed to think that I was that was a pretty reasonable explanation, and that a lot of what we might think as Putnamai is actually in the Gulf of Mexico underwater. So what we're seeing now is basically just um, kind of the margins, uh, like a, uh, the margins of integrating. And you can see that I actually keep, um, I have two distinct groups of uh, Gulf Coast box turtles. One, Chris and I have kind of coined like the Florida phase, and then the other, the tan phase. <laughs> and it's basically just from observing that just through the years, um, you know, if if you're dealing with animals that ancestrally came from Florida or the Gulf Coast, or excuse me, the Eastern Gulf Coast, um, they're going to be black and yellow. If they come from the Western parts of the range, they're going to be tan. Mm-hmm. And there are quite a bit of differences between how they look and even how they behave. Uh, and I maintain them distinctly because I just, I just love it. I love the difference. I love the tan phase. They're a little more rare, I think, in, in, in Gulf Coast groups. And, um, I was fortunate enough to see them after after the floods uh, from Katrina. um, I was able to go down there, do a little bit of helping out, and then also do some herping. And I was able to see them in the wild down there. And they're they're really distinct, in my opinion, from the Florida Gulf Coasts. Super interesting. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a mess, but it creates some 
some interesting stuff. It's very interesting. And, and you know what, you know, the, how the animals are influenced by what they're next to, or, or even in some case occurring with, you know, it, it is a very good explanation, you know? Um, and it's true, you know, there, there's, I, again, photos are coming to mind, but I have a particular individual panhandle Gulf coast female who clearly has Bowery influence in her. Okay. She, she's two colors, black and yellow. She has, uh, you know, if you were to think of anything else, you would think of a Florida box turtle when looking at her and she produced some beautiful hatchlings, but she bred with who you guys know as blue, the, the, where mm -hmm. I think it was blue, the, the big jet black male Gulf coast with the white and blue head. And it was either him or an all black Gulf Coast that, that she bred with. Um, and her babies came out looking stunning. And they right off the bat reminded me of pretty classic looking Florida box turtle hatchlings. And I gave the best looking hatchling to a friend of mine that keeps animals here to raise. And he recently brought this animal over, which is now a year old. And he already blew it up to, I mean, the animal's almost four inches, about like a year and a half now. And remember, Ken, I sent, I sent you the photo of it and it was, it's just, it was, wow. I, I wish I thought to send it to Steve. This animal looks like a Florida box turtle. It's not. And it has the cusped upper beak. It has four claws on the, on the rear limbs, uh, feet and, and other traits that, you know, are more signable to the Gulf coast box turtle, but the animal shows just unbelievable Florida inf influence. And I think it's interesting just to just to touch on when we're talking about how you get this kind of um, this gradual shift among populations as you move throughout the vast range of box turtles in this instance, because we need to compartmentalize everything, right? right. What is that? That's this species or it's this subspecies yeah. or this is just a locale or whatever. But we need to we need to call everything what it is. And if you look at like the the black knob sawbacks, mm -hmm. um, you have the north and the southern right. And and one thing that I learned from Steve is that it's it's not actually abrupt how they change from one to the next. It's just a gradual thing that happens all along the river. So you don't really right. have two separate subspecies there. You have a whole gradual shift from one to the other. And right. so where does that actually happen? Right. Clinal, clinal variation. variation? Uh, I've never heard of clinal. that before. Clinal, 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 clinal. <laughs> Samsonite. Samson, I was way off. <laughs> you were way off. Clinal. Man, look at the butt on that one. I didn't know about that. Okay. So I'm describing something that actually is a scientific term. Thanks, Steve. See, and that's, that's where, that's where the little notes. There, there's our little secret weapon in the background. Finally, it worked. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So it's not, it's gradual, right? And and there's no black and white way to to compartmentalize these things. Um, I think that's what we're talking about here, which is really cool and something important to understand. Yeah. My glasses are fogging. I'm excited. <laughs> Get me talking about turtles, man. Do we have another question, Minto? I got two more questions. Okay. Oh, jeez. The first one, how does Ken space out his different species? Great question. Um, we're gonna, I'll cover it a little bit when we get to, what do you, what do you call it? Peaks and plateaus and, yeah. and all that. Um, 
I have I have been in an almost constant state of construction um, for the last four years, building new enclosures, making sure that everybody is. I mean, everybody's always been separate, but putting turtles in different parts of the yard, separating the eastern and the western species so that there's not even any risk of water flowing from one place to another because we obviously get hurricanes and heavy rains where I am. Um, so yeah, it's it, not only that, but positioning them in the locations where they'll do the best. So I would say that the first priority in my mind is to get them where it's best suited for that type. So for the ornates, I'm looking for more open, bright, bright morning sun where they can actually get out and they'll actually bask. I mean, well, all box turtles will bask, but uh, the ornates in deserts will bask almost daily. They'll come out, they'll spread out, they'll dry out and they need that bright morning sun. Um, but you know, there are other little, little uh, aspects of the yard that cater to the different species. But as far as, keeping them reproductively separate. That's been fairly easy. It's just a matter of putting up walls, keeping them separate for the purposes of not spreading germs. That's a little bit more difficult. And, um, you know, it involves paths and barriers and monitoring the slope of the yard and grading it out. And then um, the, the, the hardest thing for me has been selecting parts of the yard that'll cater to the individual species. That's, that's very important. Um, not just with box turtles, with, with any species. And, and that's something that I think all of us, when it, we get care questions, the first thing for people to think about when they're setting up any species of turtle or tortoise in their yard is, you know, think about what this animal needs. Think about its natural habitat, what it is going to require in, in terms of sun placement or sun abundance or lack thereof. You know, you're not going to go put a radiated tortoise pen, you know, in the shade. And you're not going to go set up a... Cora galbinifrons pen in full sun. You know, you would you would want to reverse that. You know, and that's just one small little piece to the puzzle of of getting your animals set up appropriately outdoors. I have a follow up question for you there. Then, um, first off, where where do you live? What state do you live in? Kevin was late to the meeting. So yeah, he doesn't know. <laughs> 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 Everybody that doesn't know I have to put my children to bed before this. <laughs> First Monday of each month, they get a 15-minute send to bed early. You just have to, all you have to no, do is read good. the memo. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've moved around a little bit the past uh, past few years, but I'm in the Carolinas. Okay. I'm very sorry about that then. <laughs> no, you're good, man. Good. You just give them your address already. <laughs> Not that. It was going to kind of go with... Uh, Based on where you lived, uh, I thought you were in the Northeast for some reason, just because we met up in New Jersey. Um, what like species can you keep? Do you keep outdoors year round, or things that you have to bring inside? The, most most of what I keep has to be temperate, uh, or has to be able to tolerate temperate climate, because my indoor space is limited. I like you know, like I mentioned, I've, I have a family. My wife tolerates the hobby but she's not super enthusiastic about it to the point where she wants a lot of turtles in the house. She's been very understanding in the past, but I try to do my best and keep everything outside. Um, I am really fortunate where I've got some, um, some barns on the property that I can put tropical species in, and I am branching out now. In fact, you know, I hope it's okay for me to say that I got um, some cyclamines from the group. 
and um, you know, I'm that's something I've branched out to, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> they obviously prefer nice, humid climate, so they're going to go in the barn. It's just it's a lot of work to get the the building up to up to speed as far as installation and wiring and everything. So it's a work in progress. Cool. Kevin, do you have one more question or were all these follow-up questions one of them? I have one more question. That was <laughs> That's what I thought. Okay, I'm trying to keep track, but there's so <laughs> many questions. Like, There's four questions, but that actually means there's 28 Stop. questions. Yeah. I have follow-up questions. Sorry. You know, I actually yeah. get like people get annoyed with me at work because I ask so many questions. It's what I love about you. I it's what I love to... and fear about you. Continue. <laughs> okay. Uh, here we go. This is a question for everybody. Could Mexican species of terrapin be as cold tolerant as North American species, subspecies? For example, uh, they said, Chris, you had a Coahuilan that was once brewmated outdoors in Chicago. I don't know. Yes. That. Mm -hmm. uh, and could it become more cold tolerant over future generations of captive bred animals? Um, I, I'll answer that first just because of the, the Coahuilan thing. Um, yeah, there is an individual in my breeding group that spent 11 years outdoors uh, in the Great Lakes region. She brewmated on her own. Uh, she was fine. I am not surprised at all by that with them. Um, you know, we'll mention a couple things later, but um, in the case of Terrapin Kohila, I find them to be just ridiculously hardy and adaptable. I don't hibernate the group outside or brewmate the group outside. I do bring them in once it um, uh, once it gets to a certain point. You know, I start bringing them in when the nights are like starting to touch the low 40s, high 30s. I think the coldest I've let them get is uh, probably like 38, 39 at night. Wow. Yeah, and they wow. just yeah, they just it's amazing. It's amazing that they don't care. Um, now it's hard to fully understand the history of the Coahuilans in the United States, even when, even when, uh, dealing with the records that, uh, us fish and wildlife has for them. Um, and when they originally started showing up here through zoos and stuff. Um, so I don't even know if any of mine are original wild caughts or if they are just incredibly grown, you know, uh, to look like that. But, um, some people that I know personally that have researched Coahuilans in the wild do say that, Despite the fact that these animals are flawlessly grown, they you know they have very strong arced and smooth shells. Um, that there is a di just a distinct look to Coahuilans in the wild compared to them in captivity. Um, even at the box turtle uh, conservation workshop that Ken and I did last year, uh, one of the Mexican researchers was telling me that she said it's amazing how different the captive animals look compared to the wild ones. So. Maybe what I'm getting at is maybe mine are captive bred several generations, and that's why they are able to handle cold like that. I, I don't know. Um, I well, have she not did say, Chris, too. She mentioned that it, it gets downright cold there, and they experience a, a fairly chilly winter. She did. I, I, it's funny. I didn't even recall that, but then that makes even that makes even more sense. Interestingly, though, with some of the other Mexican species, particularly Yucatana, I. I let them get cool. They they do. They don't seem to come down with any respiratory um, illness or anything. Again, I don't prolong it, but um, they really shut down. You know, they just kind of okay. I'm cold. I'm not moving. I'm not doing anything, and I'm not even going to go bother to hide. I'm going to sit right here. Whereas the Coahuilans are, <laughs> they might even eat. They're still so you know, just looking at you. You know, it, it's totally different animal. 
in my experience. <laughs> I didn't want to end it so too Kevin, That's that the mailbag? That was it. That was a mailbag. It was pretty full. All right. That was, that was a full mailbag. Thank you so much, everyone, for, for sharing your questions with us. Please feel free to do that in the future. Continue to fill up Kevin's mailbag for us so that we can <laughs> have a good... So that he can follow them up. Has gotten. Yeah. So that he can piggyback and pile on. He can add those pile-on questions. I've never heard the term pile-on question. I just made it up. I'm piling it on. Coin it. Coin it, man. Make that a hashtag. Make those pile-ons. <laughs> I think they're good questions though, right? I'm not like, I'm no, not, they're great. They're great. Right. Oh, they're great. They're great. I'll talk to you afterwards about it, but they're great. <laughs> Come to my See office. me after class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Classic, classic. Oh, let's keep this, let's keep this, uh, show rolling here. Um, we're an hour in and, uh, I'd like to get to our next feature if we can. Steve, are you ready for that? Okay. Ready. What features next, Steve? Peak and pit, right? Right. Let's do it. Peak and pit. Everyone's got your answers? <laughs> For peak and pit. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Now, uh, now, how are we doing this? Are we doing whoever starts is going to talk about their peak and pit, or are we going to do everybody's peaks and then everybody's pits? How many times can you why, say why does this? Ha- why does this happen every time? Why do I we never know? know? It's like the, I only happened that one time, and now I'm scared. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I think I think it, it flows better if we. The, the weird thing about this is, and if you watch the show and tune in every month or every two weeks, whenever we do these things, uh, then you see that we usually get to the features right at the end, and we're struggling to get everything in. And mm-hmm. we got to them a little earlier this time. I'm 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 pretty happy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that doesn't mean we should lollygag now. And yeah, Steve is cringing as I'm saying this, but no, um, he's so proud, let's actually. Let's start with Peak and Pit, and who would like to go first? I'll go first. Kevin Minto. There you go. Yeah. Make up for, yep, save some face here. I like it. I'm going to pile on some questions for him. <laughs> Let's go. I hope so. Awesome. Awesome. All right. All right. So my uh, my Pit is just that I've had no eggs yet. I have a gravid female, uh, only one gravid female, uh, uh, excuse me, terrapin, but no eggs yet. It's been a slow, slow season. You know, by this time last year, I had a lot more. That's my pit. My I pit. feel horrible. I feel horrible. Continue. Hey, you're killing it, man. I'm I feel good. That's take some eggs. I don't mean to. Uh, I don't, just so I don't mean to. That. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean to um, rub it in, but my my peak is is egg related. That was I, that was my peak. I know yeah. You're I, like I said, I'm going to come to your house when you're sleeping and just take a bunch and be like, these are my eggs. It's really good with the Asian See, species to take see, the ones that don't have bands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, Ken, that's why, you don't tell, that's why you don't tell Kevin where you live. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Right, guys. Exactly. Not a Let's put that out there. Um, it's cool. What's your peak? My peak is, and there's a photo when it pops up in a second, I'll talk about it. Oh, there it is. These Here are my daughters, uh, Veda and Penny, and they love turtles and tortoises. Uh, I'll take nice. one out, no matter what it is. Uh, they'll, they'll run up, high turtle. Veda thinks that every single turtle eats grass, so she rips the grass up and throws it on them. Not even in their face, just like on their shell. So they're learning. <laughs> uh, 
but I'm I'm just very happy that they share my my interest, my passion, and like I can I can still do this and spend time with my family. Oh yeah, that's great. That's great. They're Isn't it amazing? Cute, man. Congratulations. Thank you. You just you just force it on them, and eventually, <laughs> yeah, they like it. When I met you, my oldest was like a baby. So, yeah, yeah, I remember. There you go. I got into a screaming match with my three-year-old today about a spotted turtle. Ken knows he was on the phone <laughs> with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. family time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Who's going next? I can go next. Okay. I don't want to follow up Leone again. Why? <clears throat> Why? Especially in the best taxa thing, that's for sure. So we can keep the same rotation. Yeah. You ready? You tell me, Steve. Just put a picture up. Okay, there we go. Uh, Greg Brashear um, from Greg's Turtle Haven made a meme of this. It was so funny. Like looking really? for... Oh, my. He kept, he kept putting up with different titles. It was so funny. Like oh, I wish I saw that. Look, what was I can't even remember any of them now, but they were they were they had me rolling like looking trying to find I don't know I don't know trying to looking for the crap that I gave I don't know okay anyway um so this one um this is my pit which is this this keeled box turtle uh Cora Mahudi is uh, Steve I I tell me how is I I pronounced. Okay. So the Cora I'll call it a Mahudii. Cora Mahudii. Um the jagged shell box turtle. Uh we had a sick one. This is one of the really cool things that now I, I work in the veterinary in the veterinary field and I get to play with this sort of stuff. We my hospital just does small animals like dogs and cats. But being able to see you know, that was um, the turtle's blood cells under the microscope, actually pulling the blood. That's that's pulling the blood. Um, and uh, it, it was just a really cool experience. And I have a, a doctor who I work with who is not the most experienced doctor there is, um, but she's wonderful and she's learning like every day and she just enjoys the... I don't know the the ability to to learn this stuff. So we we learn together, and um, we work with a specialist on this. And one of the things that I'm really struggling with, and this is why it's such a pit. And in in addition to just being frustrating because there's it's a sick turtle, a sick important turtle that I want to make better. Um, the blood looked like I thought I had a picture of the blood vial too, but maybe not. Maybe I messed up in in uh, uploading it, but. Um, there it, there it is. The, the blood is like fruit punch. It was crazy. So I'm like, is this even blood? Is this like a mass that we just tapped into? We were trying to get the blood and it's like blood and fluid mixed together. Um, the, it's crazy. So she's, so she, on paper, she came up as being anemic and, you know, low protein, low, low everything except high white blood cells. I mean, she's sick but low everything and super anemic. And then, you know, it, it, you can't help but wonder, okay, the, whatever the baseline is that they're comparison, comparing this blood to is how far off is that blood normally than what a normal killed box turtle blood is because they don't have that. Does that make sense? So like the only way to really know is to take your healthy animals in and compare the blood. Right. Um, 
because you know, are you comparing this to an iguana? Or are you comparing this to another turtle? Because even if it's a sulcata or a red ear, like it's there's got to be differences in there. So just me kind of questioning it after the fact, but it's been frustrating, but also at the same time, really cool to learn. So, okay. And then my peak is just, um, this, the, the, the peak photo that I shared is, yeah, it's, it's actually a video, but that's okay. If you can get it to play great, if not great, that was just a black screen from what I saw, but that's okay. So that was a video that I actually shared on my Facebook today. So if you're Facebook friends with me, you saw it already, which it was a spider tortoise kind of wiggling her butt and uh, digging a nest, a test nest, which was the first time oh, nice. for me. Yeah, really cool. Like Great. I've had them for, for nine years and never saw anything. So to see them digging a little bit was like the thrill of a lifetime. Um, and just in general, there's been a lot of activity this year, which is fun because um, as you guys know, everyone on here, I think, except Kevin, has moved with a relatively large collection of animals, which is a real challenge. We've talked about it at yeah. nauseum on the podcast in the past. And um, to have things kind of start issues upside down, that's okay. Um, to have things start to come together is really exciting. I, it's a horrible video, but it just shows a little wiggle at the beginning. Um, that had me excited. So, um, cool stuff going on. Yeah. I'm excited about it. It's a wonderful time to be alive. I mean, it's not, but you know, there's, (laughs) there's stuff to be optimistic about. It's not, (laughs) it's not, but yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Awesome. Chris, you should go, go next and then we could leave our guests for last. Yeah, sure. Okay. So whenever, uh, the photo comes up, just start talking. I, I'm oh, actually, hey no. No, I'm going to talk about Anthony's peak. <laughs> Thank you. There, there we go. go. Uh, this is actually, although this looks like a positive photo, this is my pit. Uh, and that is uh, two terrapine cohila hatching, um, cohila box turtles. And the reason this is a pit is because for a while, uh, every year, I was hatching this highly endangered species, uh, almost effortlessly. Um, the, they've proven to be very prolific when kept under the right conditions and when the right male is in the picture. So if you were at the box turtle conservation workshop last year, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I'm, I'm a member of the species survival plan for them, uh, with the stud book. And I had to unfortunately transfer my bulldozer of a male out to one zoo uh, and the mail that I received in return from a different zoo uh, turned out to be afraid of his own shadow and still is to this day. So my production just went from nearly 100% fertility and hatching rate to just year after year, dropping, 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 until finally last year we had absolutely nothing. Which was sad because the females were still laying eggs and they were completely infertile and there was just never any breeding activity. So still to up to this moment right now, um, there is, you know, no fertile eggs to date, but, uh, there is another male in the picture now who has actually been breeding and, um, uh, my fingers are crossed because at least one female is gravid and, uh, I'm hoping that she comes up any night soon. She could be doing it right now and I could be missing it. Thanks to you guys, but I love you. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. and, uh, hope let's, uh, you know, keep our fingers crossed that this time things will pan out. Cause as of right now, it's my pit. So 
And your peak. Time for my peak. This is my peak. And what you're seeing here are Florida box turtles uh, coming up out of the substrate in the base of the cold frame that I brumated them in. I successfully brumated my entire group of Florida box turtles outside here in New Jersey. Oh my God, New Jersey, but it's freezing there. It's not, uh, but it can be. And I'm in the southern portion where it's a lot milder. And uh, I finally took the chance with these guys because even when I used to live up north where it was much colder, um, I was always able to hibernate my Gulf Coast outside with no problem. Um, so I finally pulled the trigger this past year and that was great because it was one less setup that I had to put in my building and have heat lamps on and whatnot. Every single individual came out of brumation with flying colors. They are the picture of health. Uh, they're breeding, the eggs are fertile and I'm really happy about it because, uh, that's a couple heat lamps that don't have to be turned on again this winter. So, uh, that's my peak. It's gotta be great for them too, right? Instead of being moved indoors yeah. to a warm building over the winter like because even if they were in florida they would still get a significant cool down between summer and winter yeah I, and you know i think being restricted to the cold frame which is it's eight feet by two feet um and just the the natural sandy soil here on the coast um i think it replicates things a little bit for them and you know it, they were definitely getting cold you know i would check the temperature on like some real bad cold snaps and it was you know it was freezing in there um, but I, I think it just kept them just a little bit warmer than if they were to just be able to, uh, you know, go nestle in somewhere in, randomly in the pen. So uh, I'm not going to do away with that. I'm going to make sure that they all make it back to the cold frame, just like I do with a lot of the tortoises that brew made outside here. But uh, it's exciting. It is really awesome to just, you know, not have one loss from that little experiment. Thank you for answering my pile on question. Hey, you're welcome, Kevin. I mean, Anthony. <laughs> and that leaves our esteemed guest take as much time as you like ken tell us everything okay <clears throat> i'm not sure which one steve's gonna start with do you Easy. always start with one or the other uh, he just does what he wants there you go okay so that's my pit literally and figuratively <laughs> 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 so the the pit for me is um you know it's it's blended with the uh peaks which uh, you'll see in a moment but um i so i work for an essential business i work in food production so we ran our plants all through the coronavirus quarantine but i'm fortunate enough where i was able to quarantine myself for the most part and work remotely so I spent the quarantine building enclosures and digging ponds. So that was a photo of a partially dug pond. I'm really happy I was able to do it. I was able to build some of the pens that, um, uh, you know, I've wanted to build since I was a kid, but it's been a tremendous amount of work. And the pit part is the fact that I'm looking out there now and I'm seeing how much work I still have to do. So, um, that so that's my pit. Cool. So we can go to the. That's literally my pit. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> the kids, the kid. I have three kids, and man, they love to play in the ponds when I'm building them. You know, it'll rain hard, and they'll begin to fill up, and then, unfortunately, at some point, they know as soon as the.
they can't play in it anymore because there's turtles and frogs and all number of creatures in there. So, but they enjoy it in the time being. So, all right. So my peak, um, being able to build these enclosures, I have noticed a substantial improvement in the really the behavior of some of my some of my box turtle species subspecies. This this is a you know Florida phase black and black and yellow phase Gulf Coast box turtle. Um, she's enormous. Um, she always lays for me, but this year she is on clutch number four. Wow! And that is <laughs> not something I've ever experienced. And I mean, all of my Gulf Coast females are on clutch three or four now, and they have not done that literally until the year I put them in these new enclosures. So, um, you know, they're, they're, it, it's been just really fun and exciting to see. That's great. Naturalistic. Now, are you adding anything? Pylon question. Hi, sorry. Are you, when you make a new enclosure, do you, are you throwing a bunch of different substrate down or are you just using what natural soil you have? No, I, I, yeah, I've been mixing it up. So, um, I'm actually where I am right now, I'm on white clay, but if I get four, about four and a half feet down, I hit sand and water. So in excavating the ponds I've taken, and I, I did it all by hand, which, which, uh, Chris always appreciates, but, um, yeah, I take you, you the and sand I and I dig. <laughs> <laughs> I take the sand and I, and I make nesting mounds out of the sand which, you know, the box turtles are using somewhat, not as much as I would have expected. Um, but I do try to mix it up. I bring in gravel. Um, I actually have areas where I've cut down a number of trees and there's sawdust on the ground. They, they love that. They really seem interested in the sawdust area. So I'm going to keep that going somehow. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I do vary it up, Anthony, quite a bit, as much as I can. Really interesting. Cool. I think one of the, you know, again, here's a, here's a pile on too. Um, one of the, one of the coolest things about how Ken is doing these enclosures with these ponds is like he said, he's digging that far down, he's hitting water and the ponds are filling up and he, they're as natural as a pond can get. There's no liner, there's no liner, there's no cement, there's no, uh, you know, preformed pond in there. And, and that, that's something that, you know, I, I wish I could do here if, if I could dig 30 feet down probably, you know, but, uh, it, it that that's been the most impressive thing for me. He's just digging these mammoth ponds that are just, he hit, gets to a certain point and they fill up, you know, it's great. Yeah. Super I'm, jealous. It's, I'm, I'm just, yeah. I'm lucky. It, it was funny when we were looking at homes out here. Um, I, I kept asking the realtors, what's the water table? And probably about half the time, the, the water, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Do you want to buy the house? <laughs> so we should get into our last feature here. Um, the best species spotlight or best taxa question that we answer at the end of every show. So we each already have our answer queued up. We'll go in the same order as before. Steve, do we have a timer for each one? It will come on screen and we, we should, should be, be able, able to see, see it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the great Steve Enders has spoken. So Kevin is first. 
and we're and basically the question that we're going to answer this. I always forget to tell people what the question is. So the 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 question that we're going to answer or the thing that we're going to highlight is the um, basically the box turtle that has our hearts for each of us. And we don't tell each other what our answers are. If you remember back to the episode where both Kevin and Chris picked Aldabrators yeah. together. That was awkward. <laughs> it was awkward. Yeah. So uh, this could happen this time as well because we're talking about box turtles. We want to stick to the box turtle theme. So yeah, that might happen, man. What are you going to do? Deal with it. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. This, you so, in case I, I inadvertently copy you again? Me? Ooh. Yeah. No, you're going first. Go first I copied you, you know? There's four of us here. Who are you talking to? Hey, you had every right Chris? to pick Aldabra. You had every right to pick Aldabra. That, it's a new venture for you, and I'm happy for you. Thank you. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. <laughs> All right. So if Steve wants to queue up picture number one. There it is. Uh, yeah, this is a three-toed box turtle, Terrapin Carolina Triangus. Um, and this picture was from this morning. I just went outside. It was just hanging out in the water, halfway in the water, halfway out. And the reason I love this species so much uh, – is that they're not shy at all you know like i can get in the enclosure i can walk right up to it, and this animal does not cower none of them do they'll walk right up to me heck these are the only ones only turtles that i have that actively try to like attack me and bite me because they just they're always hungry uh i'll feed them non-stop relentlessly and they'll just eat and eat and eat and eat so they're very very you know exciting for me because they're always moving around they're always checking stuff out they hunker down when it's like really really bright outside uh, they go to the, the corner where it's shady, uh, but it's a really cool animal. And uh, what a lot of people don't like is that they're pretty brown for the most part that you see, but there are some standouts. Uh, if you pull up the next picture, the third one, Steve, uh, this is a photo from my buddy, Matt Healy. That's like, Whoa. I, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It popped off, but you saw it for that. Yeah. Let's get that picture back up. That Look is, at that. Wow. He's that beautiful. Is, you know? That's a sexy turtle. Yeah. Amazing. That's great. I don't throw that around very often, the, the word sexy. It, you got to really bring it. It's pretty Kruger, <laughs> the turtle. Yeah. Yeah. But just a really, yeah. really cool subspecies, and I'm, I'm happy to work with them. I know Anthony's working with them now, too. I believe, Chris, you are. Uh, you know, Ken, I don't know if you do, but really, really cool. I do. Yeah. Look at that. All four of us, huh? I'm next. Three toads, pals. Next. Yep, I'm next. Three toads. <laughs> Everyone put three toes up to the screen. <laughs> just, My countdown's already going, which is fine. I don't, all viewers. It's fine. I don't I don't like throwing in this whole 60 seconds worth of, of information. I'm, we I'm go. not as good as you guys. We're going. Yeah. I, did we do the same one? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I won't say much. I'll just give my no, experience. No, go, go ahead. Who cares? I no. love, I love Coheelan box turtles. I really do. And I've only ever kept them indoors, which is different than your experience. Um, and I just love them. Like kind of Kevin was saying, they, they go right for your jugular, man. They want to kill me. When, when I peek around the corner, they're coming, chasing after me for food. And they've just been really hardy They're And, and, there's something about drab turtles, three toads or Pacific pond turtles or Coheelan box turtles. Like there's a subtle beauty there that is just so striking to me. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> th- like if you look at the eye of a Kohelan box turtle, it is like nothing cool. else, you know? So I pick them because they have my heart. Follow that, Chris. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time, brother. Can you can you deal with that? I also picked Kohelan Box Turtle. What's interesting <laughs> is this can actually be linked to Ken Sofer as well because the first time that I got Kohelan Box Turtles, Ken and I were actually out in Minnesota, and we were there for the Minnesota Herpetological Society meeting, and we actually got to go out in the field with the DNR to research some turtles out there, but that was the first time that I had these coming in. I wasn't even home to accept them. My wife was. And that began a lifelong, not lifelong, but last few year journey with producing this species. I've been in contact with a lot of the researchers down in Mexico to help them with the head starting program and let them know everything that I know. They're hardy, they're beautiful, subtle beauty, but it's there. The eye is amazing, the personality is amazing, the morphology is amazing, and they are an aquatic box turtle. Even though they have all the morphological traits that fit into the terpene genus, they are in fact suited for an aquatic life. Sleeker shell, narrower body, and they can swim just like a painted turtle. Uh, but when you put them on land, they behave just like an eastern box turtle. So there you go. Terrapin, Kohila, they have my heart. They have my heart. <laughs> Look at that. How many seconds did I have left? Three? Son of a... Boom! <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. This is why I didn't want to go after you. Uh, oof. You know, what, what, what movie is it? Uh, is it Old School? Where, where Will Ferrell debates and he yeah. blacks out? That's yeah. what yeah. just happened. Yeah. That's how you debate! Have at it, Haas. Okay, so I was told that we were allowed to have a tie, so I couldn't follow everyone's instructions. I had to pick a tie. So um, this first one is the the tan phase of the Gulf Coast box turtle. Um, I talked about them a little bit. I'm just super excited to have a a good, solid group now. It's taken me a long time to put that group together. Um, They're really beautiful similar to what anthony said they just have this this earthy beauty it's not flashy it's just i just love it this particular male you can't really tell but his head is blue um i don't have the best camera and his shell is just this kind of rich coffee uh coffee cream color um beautiful turtle they uh boy my time is really going down (laughs) Um, don't worry about it the second one is the desert fox turtle um I'm just so happy to be able to keep and breed them so far outside of their natural range. Uh, it's been a lot of work, but um, it's very rewarding. And that was a that was about a two year old, I believe, in the in the photo. Excellent. Awesome. Awesome. So, Ken, how long have you been doing this? Normally, this is the question we start with. Tell them how you got into this. That's right. How long have you been doing this crazy turtle nonsense? <laughs> well, I actually was. Uh, hatching eastern box turtles when I was six years old and wow. so that uh, you know I'm I'm 26 now so it's no just kidding um, <laughs> it's, it's been uh, thir- 34 years wow and um, and everyone's doing the know, math in their head how old is Ken yeah <laughs> sorry so uh, my my father was always into animals, and I've always been into animals in general. I loved toads. I would chase toads around our yard. My parents would have to bring me in kicking and screaming uh, at night because that's when the toads come out. And um, he brought a turtle home that he rescued off the road, a box turtle. 
when I was in kindergarten, I remember we, we went on a field trip and we came home and he was messing with his garden. My father was messing with the, his garden in the backyard. And he said, go inside and grab the box that I have on the counter. And I ran in and, and I remember picking up the box and hearing something slide and thud against the wall of the box after I picked it up and put the box down and just was overjoyed that there was a, an animal in there and it was a turtle and he had fixed the garden so we could put the turtle in there and um you know we he would rescue them off the road on his way to work um we would keep them for a few weeks and then we would let them go where he'd found them you know, obviously that's you know, we've all learned some lessons since then, and that's not something yeah. that you want to do, but um, that's right. really what cultivated it for me. And uh, I remember going to parks, and, you know, it's really about my relationship with my dad. I mean, I, I remember going to parks, and he would take off his shoes and his socks, roll up his pants, and he'd go in, you know, the. I grew up in New Jersey. He'd go in the, um, the Cedar Creeks and catch baby painted turtles for me. Mm. And... Uh, we would just look at them, admire them, and let them go. And, you know, baby red belly turtles and, you know, baby stink pots. And it was, my childhood was just all about turtles. And uh, everybody thought I'd grow out of it. They all they all told me I would. And, uh, you know, I never really thought that much about it. But um, so well, you're only did not grow out of it. So. In fact, I think I grew into it. <laughs> What's that? I said you're only 26. You know, you still might. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've got time. <laughs> I, I think those stories, we should do a whole podcast episode, you know, if, if you guys all think it's a great idea, of just, just stories like that, you know, how these childhood stories that just imprint on you and, you know, just you telling me that and, you know, you've, you've told me all these stories before, but it brings back, you know, my first memories with, with box turtles, you know, and that, that, that was my first turtle memory was an Eastern box turtle, you know, so I don't know if that's the case for you guys, but I think that'd be, that would be something fun to do because the, those stories that, that just, you know, that really brings back, you know, the nostalgia and the fun and, and you remember why you're doing what you're doing, you know, and like you said, right. like how it, that's how it cultivated for you, you know? So, so what are your, if, if we can have Ken kind of like a closing thought for, for the show, um, maybe some advice that you want to give to some up and comers or, um, kind of your thoughts on where this, hobby is going or the world for turtles or that sort of thing like a, a ken sofer a ken sofer psa for everyone ken sofer is that i'm sorry to put you on the spot with that but i did it yeah so. wow that's a lot of pressure um <laughs> take yeah, it in whatever direction you want <laughs> yeah i mean you know it's um i guess the only things i could think to convey things that i've learned um you know, for folks starting out would be, you know, align yourself with good people. Align yourself with, you know, trustworthy people. Be very careful, um, you know, when you are looking to get animals, be very careful how you get them, who you get them from, and, um, you know, watch your laws. Um, be, be really, really diligent about that stuff. Um, you know, and obviously, even though we keep stuff, I know all of us here want to keep wild turtles wild, and that is our primary concern. I I wish I wish constant 
constantly that I could do more to protect wild turtles. I wish I could keep them off the roads. I wish I could keep the raccoons away from them. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. But, um, you know, try to plug yourself in to help where you can. Uh, if that's captive propagation. I think that suits a lot of us pretty well because we're, we're home. It can be a hobby. They're fairly low maintenance as pets, especially when you can keep them outside. But, you know, stuff like Chris and Casey, I mean, they're rescuing turtles right down their street. And, um, you know, their whole family is involved. Chris around telling her where all the where the terrapin nests are so get yourself plugged in with good people trustworthy people and help out where you can that's I hope that's our right. I, I thought that was great that was, that was really great Kevin explain what you're trying to do please uh, I just found that old the PSA like the more you know mm -hmm. pops up and I was gonna have that appear on screen the moment Ken finished but it didn't pan out you can't do the inception with YouTube it seems you know uh uh, the Inception, cool. Two thousand nine movie reference. Ken's got a good point, though. You know, and and you know, associating yourself with the right people, the right groups, doing the right thing is, is a big deal. And you know, I'm I'm thankful that I have all you guys. And uh, you know, I think that goes a long way for anybody. You know. God, here well we go. said, man. Well said, man. Are you crying because you smacked your mic two seconds ago? Did you see that? Right I, in the middle of Ken talking, he's Ken's, dropping Ken's, knowledge. Yeah, he's saying something really nice and passionate, and you yeah. go and whack your microphone, and then I started laughing like a little girl. Me too, and then I laughed at you. And yeah. then you and then you can't stop laughing because you know you shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> like total like that high school thing where like I'm about to get detention right now because I'm, I happen to be in study hall with, with Chris. See me after class. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I can't because I'm going to be busy seeing Kevin after class, or he's going to be seeing me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's Just right. saying. Well, well hey, thank you so much. Thank you so much for watching the podcast tonight, Ken. You're the best. Thank you so much for coming on and schooling us and sharing all this with us and uh, teaching our viewers a thing or two about box turtles. And um, <laughs> uh, thank you. Anybody else want to say anything? Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I um, I'm honored, frankly. I'm honored. I'm a little man on the totem pole. I'm just the guy who keeps some turtles. So I I appreciate you guys inviting me on and letting me talk. And it's been fun. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you, man. Hey, years ago, you were one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I'm really happy to know you. Thanks for uh, getting on talking with us. He's not sending you any turtle Thanks, stuff. Kevin. Sucking up. <laughs> <laughs> So mean to him, my God, it's so funny. But uh. it's funny because if anyone knows me, I'm the nicest person, and I would never talk to to Kevin like this in person. Uh, That's I the know. funniest part. It's just because of the microphone. Uh, I feel, yeah, I feel face like hurt my feelings every episode. It's like, what can I do to just knock Kevin down a little bit? You know, one day Kevin's oh gonna God. come on here and he's just gonna rule all. That's he's, he's That's what I want. Yeah. I want that. You I know? get like. Every six episodes, I'm on. Yeah. You had what was it? Was it the last episode or something? You had, you had a really good one, and we were like, "Whoa!" I forgot. Yeah, what it feels was. good. Yeah. And then, right. but that's what I want. I want the viewers to be like, "Yeah, screw you, Anthony." Kevin finally, 
got back at you. That's what I want. Uh, yeah. Steve says if Kevin uh, has a psych, oh, I missed that. Well, yeah, right. if I have a psychopathic break on camera, it's Anthony's fault. You know. Uh, yeah. Kevin starts bawling in the corner. <laughs> forgets to turn <laughs> off his. Go out there. I actually don't really. Camera. Think it, Anthony is uh, a very nice guy. You know, in person and on the phone and everywhere else except for on the podcast. That's right. That's the, he is the bully the on point. the podcast. But that's hey, if you goal. guys uh, you guys can watch this show again uh on uh on the different platforms that we have it on if anthony you want to let people know what that is uh if you want to reiterate this to yourselves and you know go over some things that you might want to know about box turtle keeping or natural history or what have you so uh yeah yeah thank you yeah so it's on it's on youtube uh it'll be archived there um obviously many people are watching on facebook as well but you can get it on itunes and the podcast is available on iHeartRadio and and on the website as well, both in video and audio format. So be sure to tune into those back episodes. Everything's there, all sixty six episodes. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for that and reminder. And we're now. We uh, this was the first night that we uh, put it uh, live on the Garden State Tortoise Facebook page too. So That's if right. you really if you really hate Anthony and uh, you want to watch it from a different uh, platform, there you go. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I love you. I'm just so I know you watch it. I love you too. Ugh. Thank you guys. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.